Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Mikhail Samanov of Two Centuries, a quant fund that specializes in finding innovative solutions. In our conversation, Mikhail and I discuss how alternative data and innovation go hand in hand in his team's process. In other news, I will be speaking at Beryl Elites in New York on June the 20th and 21st. I hope to see many listeners there. So in this episode, I am joined by Mikhail Samanov of Two Centuries Investments. Thanks very much for joining us today, Mikhail. It's a pleasure, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Um, Mikhail, perhaps um, the best way to start is just for those who aren't familiar, could you perhaps just give a, a quick pen portrait of Two Centuries? Well, what is Two Centuries? Two Centuries Investments is a firm I started in 2018, uh, three and a half uh, years ago. And we focus on innovation. I believe that's a core ingredient that active investment management industry is still uh, underweight. It's missing for the large part. So we, we spend a lot of time innovating and we translate that into our active strategies. Uh, we have an ec- active equity strategy that uh, invests in intangibles, companies with very really strong intangible assets like brand and management quality, uh, customer satisfaction. And then we have an innovative multi-asset strategy as well that is dynamic. So we offer these solutions to family offices and other asset owners across the uh, United States. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so this is the Alternative Data Podcast. Where did you first, when did you first become aware of alternative data? So for me, yeah, that was a really interesting point. It was around um, 2010. I have to go back to 2010. So before 2010, I was a traditional quantitative portfolio manager uh, building multi-factor models using traditional data. Uh, While doing that, uh, I had a lot of focus on creativity and innovation. So that allowed me to build differentiated models that worked well. However, at some point around 2009, 2010, um, as a researcher, you you keep trying to make your models better and better. Uh, even if your performance is good, you still are constantly pushing yourself to innovate. And so I took a little sabbatical, went to France actually to get married and turned into a, a three month sabbatical. And I kept doing the research thinking I'm going to come back to New York with all this enhanced uh, models and new ideas. And I built something, I came back and plugged into the overall model and it barely moved the needle. Uh, And I was kind of really disappointed. And I had to tell my boss, sorry, that was a fun vacation. I didn't add any value. Uh, (laughs) And so it was a soul searching moment and I started thinking about it. Uh, It didn't move the needle, of course, because the signals were already in some shape or form inside the big model that I had. And it, the first light bulb went off that I was still using traditional data. You see, this was, you know, 2009, 2010, up until that point, 
all the quantitative investors pretty much use three data sets, you know, fundamental data, financial statements, um, and then sell side estimates and price, some variation of price volatility. And that's pretty much it. So modeling those data sets only, you can only go so far. And you, but you're uh, saying, you're saying, uh, while you're on holiday, the rest of the market discovered alternative data. While I was on a holiday, I got stuck. Uh, I came back, I realized I had to uh, really push the needle. And then I started asking questions like, okay, let's leave the data aside and let's think about the big question. Where does company get its value from? What is most valuable uh, really today? And I started thinking in terms of intangible. So before I arrived at alternative data, I had to think through why do I need even to go there? So I, I realized that using traditional data was limiting my innovation ability. But then I had to ask some strong questions like that led me to the answer that intangible assets are really the, the way companies derive their value. And, um, and, and they haven't been measured uh, before, which led me to alternative data, which didn't back then didn't really exist uh, in terms of these intangibles. So I had to start building it from scratch. Intangible assets, like for example, the Google's, uh, the feeling Google gives uh, somebody when they use it to search for something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you thought, right? So you were you were led to the alternative data by the need for um, something to describe intangible assets. Would you? Is intangibles? Um, is it still incredibly important to you? Would you say that's a, that's a strength of yours of, of, of finding ways to measure it? Does it, would it, if there is a way to define it, it feels like innovation um, is, is a word that you would use to define yourself as intangibles, as measuring intangibles another way. Yeah. Continuously measuring. I mean, my definition of intangibles is really broad. It's anything that's valuable that a company has that is not listed on its balance sheet. So it can really include like anything, know-how, how the how it feels to work at a company, its customers, everything, you know, the product quality, uh, all that stuff that's traditionally measured, not measured or assessed by qualitative fundamental analysts, but not by quants. Uh, so it's a wide playing field. Do you feel like everyone else is doing the same thing? I think over the last few years, it definitely um, started to be more competitive in this area. Uh, but um, there's a long way to go. So again, to make another analogy, like around um, crowding and innovation versus innovation, if we go back to like 2004, there was already a lot of, like a lot of data, a lot of fundamental data was available and people still build very different quant models and some performed and some didn't perform. So you could compete even within the same data set when which was like the three data sets I mentioned. Now you come to today, there is hundreds and hundreds of data sets. Uh, the ones I use, I actually, a lot of them I constructed myself again during that period that I was just building the data sets um, in Los Angeles for a couple of years. Uh, but even the third party ones that are growing and becoming higher and higher quality, there's so much variety uh, and uh, the way people apply them can be highly customized. And it does come down to the investment idea generation process in the first place. What is being captured? And uh, does the idea have enough uh, breadth and out of the boxness uh, before it starts to get measured and implemented? So I, I, I'm not extremely worried about, let's say, everybody else doing it. It's actually a very wide playing field and it 
it it looks more i feel like there's more opportunities today even than there was in 2004 when we were limited by the same data set and the same few papers from academia i feel like i mean let's talk about what you're you're saying it's a very wide space so maybe i'm not i'm maybe i'm drawing the lines too closely because um I feel like what a lot of people are using data for right now in the market is to try and get hold of the numbers which can't be seen on the market. So, you know, try and understand what's happening in the supply chain of companies, which isn't isn't uh, necessarily being released by the companies themselves, you know, or or trying to get a picture of how many people are actually stepping foot in the shop, even when um, you can't, whereas, you know, that's an actual fact it's not an intangible it's a tangible really if you if you were standing there with a clicker you'd be able to see that those people are in that shop whereas intangibles to me sounds more like branding for example um or or marketing or or how people feel about or what is the value of an experience or, or 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 a thing which can't be measured and so it sounds like what you're talking about is is finding ways to put on put numbers on things that can't be measured whereas it feels to me like a lot of the rest of the market is still finding ways to put numbers on things for for which numbers exist but they're just unknown that's a very very good question exactly so that's part of my philosophy that does lead me to more like the asset side of things almost a balance sheet invisibles versus income statement which is more transactional data. It's about predicting the next quarter uh, with higher frequency data. As you mentioned, yes, I, I lean away from the higher frequency data for a few reasons. A, it just doesn't align with my investment philosophy in general. I think more value can be captured on longer term horizons. And then there's the pragmatic reasons because that shorter term data usually attracts a lot more competition and it's more expensive. Uh, and then it also borderlines, you know, some comfort zone for me in terms of, you know, what's material, what's not public. Um, you know, it's always been that line that a large group of investors try to compete on, obviously on the safe side. Uh, even before alternative data, there was expert networks, and I know that whole story very well. Um, and before that, there was a sell side analyst giving proprietary kind of guidance, custom guidance. So that that line around the next quarter, um, you know, if you try and win at that game, you it's expensive, it's competitive, it gets arbitraged away, and it's potentially not safe. So I like to to play on the side of longer term uh, or medium term, I guess, investing. If up, like twelve months is my ideal horizon, twelve to twenty four months. And um, yeah, as you said, really identify the sources of companies' competitive edge um, that will drive the future earnings that are not yet part of the narrative that's not fully priced in. Do you, do you end up with a satisfying answer? Is it like the okay? So the source of this company's edge is the CEO and the team he's put in, which means that for as long as he is doing what he's doing, then I can expect returns to be great, but if he leaves, I should get out quickly. Is it is it is it that kind of thing that you end up with, or or is it or you end up with a kind of nebulous, uh, whatever it is, it's working, and and there'll be signs when it's not working. Yeah. So, like as any quant, there's yes and yes. <laughs> so <laughs> on the one hand, as a quant, you build baskets of stocks, and uh, there's many things affecting any company 
and it can look like a soup, but you're getting the average return, which works. So you're happy with that, both historically in the back test and then in real time. Um, the other dimension is that if you look at the components, um, like is it the leadership or is it employee engagement, is it a brand uh, year by year, the answers become pretty intuitive in, in, in the way these factors behave. Like for example, during 2020, it was mostly about like leadership. I mean, all intangibles worked really well in 2020, but leadership really stood out. And then 2021, it was the employee engagement during the uh, great resignation. That was the number one factor. You really see companies that continue to engage employees um, outperformed by, by wide margin the rest. So there's intuition in the way these factors are behaving over time, these new factors. In terms of company specific things, you can we definitely look at specific case studies as we do research. And I have many at this point, uh, you know, Apple, uh, Apple is a phenomenal one. Uh, HubSpot is a great story. And uh, in both of those examples, I can step deeply if you like, but we can mm. really clearly see the uh, intention from leadership in their language that says, we're going to focus on these intangibles. They state it and it's phenomenal. You see the words appear in their language. And then we look for ways to measure that. Did they translate that intention into measurable intangibles? And I find this alternative data sets again to uh, construct my own or find external ones to measure the things that the management said they're going to invest in. And it's a strategic choice. It's not just nice words like empty words. They're there by, by strategic reason. And then all of a sudden the intangible shows up and starts to overtake the competitors and the peers. And then you can trace it to fundamentals like either sales growth or turnaround or profitability. You know, the one misconception around intangibles is they can only be used for growth investing. It's really, uh, I have cases that works in all sorts of industries and uh, growth value, cross growth and value uh, dimension as well. Uh, and then, of course, it translates to equity returns because um, a lot of those things were not fully priced in by the market. So um, it sounds like great resignation being a major theme in 2021 then what what's going to be useful for that it's going to be so i could imagine off the top of my head alternative data sets around um workforce such as um so the ones which track who's joining who's moving where like uh, the ones who for example look at linkedin and and um and find out what's what where employees are leaving from and where they're moving to and and where they're staying um but and also potentially um, there could be some NLP around chatter, perhaps again, actually on Glassdoor, um, what people are saying about working for this company. It's, you know, this is, this is, it's a terrible place to work. Everyone's leaving that kind of thing. It, 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 would that be, is that, it, it, is that too obvious? Um, or is that, is that the kind of thing you'd be looking at to answer that question? Yeah. So th those are great uh, two examples. Exactly. You know, and if you think back to 2010, uh, Glassdoor only had like two years of data at that point. And so as a quantitative analyst, um, for me to get comfortable with betting on something like that with two years of history really came down to the, you know, the belief system and, and the, the whole framework around, yes, law of large numbers, surveys of a lot of employees are hard to fake. 
Um, you know, there's debate whether companies can move the needle or not on their ratings, but I don't think it's that material at all. Uh, and there's some evidence of that as well. And I've done, again, I've been doing surveys with journalists right before that, which we had much, much smaller samples and the insights were just so powerful. It's this uh, crowd, you know, crowdsourcing or law of large numbers, the properties of things. So yeah, uh, Glassdoor was a definitely a really innovative early data set I was using um, and still, you know, like it a lot. Uh, of course, it's became much more popular these days. But as you said, there's a lot more you can do with it. It's um, it's a little bit akin to having the the traditional financial statement data source, which you could build a lot of different factors that are not all correlated with each other and complementary. It's a similar uh, notion with Glassdoor, as you were mentioning, uh, language and NLP, and those are definitely very exciting areas that. Um, uh, extract new insights on top of the traditional ones. Latching on to the um, to the Great Resignation theme a little bit um, with with twenty twenty one, that is something which obviously is is a familiar phrase. It's been it's been all over the press for for quite a long time. It's it's a phrase which everyone knows. Um, is your task, do you think, as a quant who's who's trying to identify that theme, is your task to try and get that phrase before? it's all over the press you're are you trying to get onto it and say look this is what's actually happening out there and then you know and then the and then the news catches up or does it not matter because actually the fact that it's all over the press is going to be driving the trades the you're you're kind of identifying what the story is that everyone's driving and you're riding the same wave that everyone else is riding so you're not trying to get necessarily ahead of it you want to like it's fine as long as you know what's 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 the hot thing at the moment then you can be with the crowd yeah, uh, I don't try to predict those things. So each one of these themes has its own, let's say, average premium, average return that is better than the market. And that average, some years is higher, you know, some years, not well, the average stays the same, but some years the return is higher, some it's lower. But I'm more interested in the average premium that exists. Uh, when I mentioned the great resignation, it's just about the intuition and that these things capture things that are going on. So in 2021, you get way above average return from that theme, but it still averages a positive number over, over long term. So I don't try to get ahead of them for, for any given year, uh, just to have it strategically aligned. And then, I mean, I, what I, the ongoing research is always really important. This is the thing that a lot of quants struggle with is, you know, there's the investment process and then there's innovation process. And most people talk about investment process. Now, the challenge of being a quant with investment process is you lock yourself in. And then every time you try to change something, you have to be really careful. Like you're not revamping the whole model. You're gradually evolving it so that the clients feel safe. And that's all good. That's how it should be. But it ends up, um, you know, basically creating an under, under innovation. <laughs> not enough time, not enough resources, not enough ideas. So all these things should be, in my opinion, evolving uh, the models and um, proactively evolving. That's another thing with quants. We're sometimes reactive. So we'll wait for the value factor to crash. And then we, oh, maybe we should put intangibles to fix it. Um, it's a backward looking uh, solution. I always prefer, even with the traditional factor clusters that we've had, to be ahead of time. So, you know, you think about your one of your quality, value, momentum. All right, let's invest some resources into quality. It's doing well, but can we do even better? So you try to foreshadow what's coming. So on the employee side, 
again, there's a lot of uh, more subtle, more interesting, different ways to to continue modeling these things. It's not set and forget it, basically. Like where, where if if you know, for me, if Glassdoor was like ten years ago, I kind of thought that was the cutting edge. Uh, there's a lot more innovative things today that are we're doing. Um, beyond the traditional sort of ratings from those places, even though the, the, those are still working quite well. Does the fact that you are focused on intangibles limit you to a certain amount of alternative data? Um, it would, would you be less interested in, um, I don't know. I mean, are, are there, are there, would you say that there's a kind of playground of alternative data, which really suits your needs? Um, and you're always, always going back to the same sector of the alternative data market, or can you literally, um, are you always on the lookout for anything and you can, you can try anything? Yeah. So, you know, I, like, I have this weird, <laughs> weird thinking in my head or belief that I can make, I can squeeze alpha out of a rock, like at least, at least in terms of backtest. Uh, not not to sound like pretentious about it or anything. It, it took me a while to f- figure it out, but like it it just comes down to how much uh, type one, type two error, how much breadth, how much you know idea diversity you put into something, and you can get something out. Now, if the data set on average is weak and and all priced in or or just messy or dirty, then there's obviously a limit to what you can get out of it. If um, but so I don't you know. And, and another thing with data sets is that they take a lot of, so to do this kind of squeezing the alpha out of it, uh, I, w- I need to go into like a six to 12 month mode of really generating that breadth of ideas. So every, every research project I do starts with this long phase called design phase before I even touch the data or read the manual. Um, you know, it's a lot of idea generation and creating a, a big distribution of ideas from crazy, stupid, silly ideas. Um, and you want to have that because that creates a variance and distribution. You want to feel safe coming up with dumb ideas <laughs> because then there's a chance that on the other side of the tail distribution, you'll end up having one out of a hundred really great ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of things before touching the data, before kind of thinking anything, uh, testing anything. And so by the time we get to the data set or a couple, we have all these predefined groups of ideas and directions, et cetera. And then we dive into it, start modeling it, testing, playing, ripping it apart, reverse engineering, whatever, you know, it, it's wide. It's not just let's rank on this and see what happens. Um, um, and then there's usually that some insights come out of that process. Now there's obviously always, always a question what's data mined versus what's real. So we have to be honest about that and leave data for out of sample testing. And just acknowledge that some of the signals are not real. And in that case, they become random noise, which is really not that bad if you think about it, because if you have one real true alpha signal and five random noise signals, that's still better than having like two signals that you thought were good and they become random noise. I think that comes down to type one, type two error. Uh, So by the time we're testing a data set, we have all this stuff going on. And it takes a lot of work to work with a data set. So I'm not driven basically by, um, my research process is not driven by data providers, to, uh, even though I keep close tabs on them and see who's doing what for general idea generation. It's driven by this theme needs some help. Uh, let's make it better. Or uh, I have this whole other theme idea right now I'm working on. And then you start uh, assembling the, the data for it. 
you you've you mentioned before to me and you just gave a taste of it but it sounds like a like an incredible kind of you know a kind of company away day times by three months <laughs> this kind of process of of a team coming together to innovate about potential methods you could use on to, to answer a question and just as you say coming up with a with a with a thousand a million uh uh potential thoughts and, and ideas about it. Um, I, I'm still trying to fit the data in, though, in terms of um, before you're setting off on your on your very extended company away day of, of, of thought creation, um, what do you have which is guiding you? Is it uh, are you starting with by looking at the market and saying there's something going on here and then you have your thought creation idea and then you go out and say what data might serve all the ideas that we've come up with or do you start with the data and then you go away and you don't look at it for three months because you're coming up with all your all your ideas and then you come back and put that into the data because my 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 issue with that is that's an awful lot of time to spend when you're not before you know whether the data's got value you know uh, so so I'm just I'm just wondering where the data fits into the process uh, for me, it's it's a good question. So data is similar to like academic research. I read academic research all the time. Like it's like people go to Twitter, I go to Twitter, and then I go to like SSRN or Google Scholar. It's like a daily, daily habit. Mm. Uh, and uh, I save papers, I read it. It all goes to like the back of my mind, the subconscious somewhere, you know. Same thing with the data sets. I always open those emails and look at conferences. And um, I think the value that goes on in some of these places that highlight new data sets is really incredible and they're doing a great job. Uh, so it, it, it all goes into the subconscious over, over, over quant. Um, so it's, it's there and it is an input. Uh, but of course the other big input, um, which really is your own experience as an investor and as a human being, you know, you buy from companies, you work at companies, you, your friends work at companies. So you can think as a human being, the, the, the thing about investing, um, you know, what I've observed around people who've done it really well is they, they all end up developing their own style that is unique, distinct, like a musician in a way or, or a filmmaker. That's good. You can recognize it if they're just trying to copy stuff from the CFA curriculum and apply it rigorously like they've been taught most likely they're not going to end up generating high performance because everybody else is doing it. So it's the stylistic feature. So when I work with, um, you know, for example, I did a consulting project with a large, large investment firm and we innovated a lot and we did this whole design phase before touching the data. The idea is that every analyst on that team, including myself as part of, like, I played a role of it, researcher and then I brought in additional people as well externally everybody has their own sort of mind right their own brain and which is a generating idea generating process or research generating process with its own parameters and features some like depth some like breadth some like more technical machine learning some like more qualitative things some like more fundamental even though everybody's a quant with similar backgrounds on on the resume uh, as a human you have a very unique sort of set of experiences and preferences and cognitive abilities, etc. So I think the, the power of a good idea generation process is to really unconstrained and allow the freedom for the true self in the, in the mental way, quant self to show up to the table 
and start just brainstorming and putting things out there. Now, during that brainstorm phase, it it's, gets pre-structured the way I run it. So it becomes a one, one pager per idea and one minute per idea and everybody ranks the ideas. And in those one pagers, data sets often do start to show up. So it's not a requirement. That idea has to be measurable. Uh, again, as I said earlier, it's actually a lot of times it's fun to say what has not been measured at all. Give me some of those ideas. But um, also uh, data sets can inspire ideas as well. So it's, it comes down to the individual who's participating. And these tournaments could be scaled up or down. It can, they can get really narrow. They could come down to here's a data set. We have to find alpha here. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, or here's a model that's not working for us. We have to fix it. Let's go. Or it can be really broad and these tournaments can last for days and we can cover a lot of different parts of the model. So it, data sets do play a really important role, I would say. Um, but it's not the role where you hear the pitch and you start testing it and then you plug into the model because... Um, you know, you lose, you lose a lot of subtlety if, if you try to do that. And then the other challenge, you know, with all investing, really, I, I often say one of the biggest risks of investing is just giving up. And it applies in multi-asset investing, holding to, onto the market or any quant who has a model. When do you, the hardest decision is, do you start changing the model when it's not working or a specific factor? Do you shut it down? What is the processes around all of that? So one of the ingredients that helps you hold on when performance is not great is the strength of your belief uh, in the signal. And that strength, you know, the more research you do, the more creativity you do, the more this like idea ranking. And if you push the idea quality to the two standard deviation out to the positive, um, it's much easier to hold on to it while it's not working. It doesn't mean it's going to mean revert and work every time but it just makes your confidence much stronger versus, for example, reading a manual from a data set that has a backtest in it and you just plug it in as it was shown and then it doesn't work, your doubt will creep in way faster and then you'll be turning it off and that leaves money on the table. It's it's a compelling vision. Um, the, the kind of this incredible, it's a kind of, it's like a creativity uh, paradise in a way of, of everyone coming up with their ideas and, and the one pages. And it's very, it's wonderfully structured. It actually reminds me, the description reminds me of um, of the writer's room for Friends. Then they had some of the mm-hmm. best, the best uh, comedy writers in, and they're all competing with each other and come, yeah. you had to come with a, you had to come with a full, like a fully formed idea um, or, or you get, you get kicked out of the room type thing. But it was, a, it was all just this kind of creative, like furnace that they, that they created for it. And, and what a, what a great series it, it worked. But, um, but my, but my, the bit that I'm still struggling to get my hands around, head around here is that it sounds like data is flowing freely in and out of in and out of ideas and in and out of thoughts but i know um that data is not free actually alternative data is often quite expensive to get hold of a, a data set to be and so to be actually freely um uh freestyling um with with uh, bringing this alternative data maybe that'll work maybe that'll work type thing it suggests a, a kind of a big central um dressing up box of, of potential data sets that you can use. Um, 
are we using free data? Are we using all the what's available on the online? Are you are you getting hold of sample data? How how does that how does that square the circle? It really depends on the project, right? So there's my ongoing R and D. Uh, a lot of it comes down to then the, the business case and the the strategic you know reason for given project. So, for example, large asset management firm might be feeling stuck uh, on on their models, okay, ESG models, for example, or other models, and um, the conversation has to be shifted into strategic importance. So, if the firm says, you know, we're going to back this project, we're going to do radical innovation, we always do innovation, you know, we always try to research things, but that's marginal. We're going to say we're going to take this year, invest in it, and and aim for a quantum leap. <laughs> um, that's one example. So you get buy-in. You get buy-in from business development, marketing, strategy, and obviously the investment teams, different investment teams. You, the design process is inclusive. Um, we try to get away from the silo mentality of large firms, uh, which every department's for their own, <laughs> on their own, and every analyst is on their own. So there's definitely this collaboration going on. And then the budgets, by the time we get to discovery and we have all these ideas, we test a lot of new data sets. And then there's, yeah, going going to be a budget conversation, but it's much easier to have that budget conversation versus, uh, you know, we found one new data set, can we buy it? Because at that point, it's like we found 10, 15 things. Uh, and the other thing is these data sets are like ingredients in the kitchen. So you can feed them into a lot of different ideas. You try to find synergies. Um, you know, what's the optimal use of the budget, etc. You can cook a lot of meals with different same ingredients and sometimes sure. you can swap, etc. Um, so that's one example. On my level and two centuries, we're obviously way smaller firm. So a, a real life constraint of being frugal um, is key. So we have to work around. And again, I've been building my own data sets since 2010. And I keep them updated, and that's what keeps running, uh, running the models really. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, as we grow, our budget grows, and there's some really awesome, higher quality data sets out there that I think could enhance our models even further. Um, and I have my eye, keeping keeping my eye uh, on those as well. Stalking them, stalking them in the market, um, Mikhail. I, yeah, uh, I, 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 I think this. I've, Found this very interesting the the kind of discussion of process and, and innovation and it's definitely one i haven't had on the podcast before is there um is there anything which you wish i'd asked you about is there anything which you wanted to um to make sure you you said while you were while while, while on the podcast i think you asked great questions thanks for uh staying with me for this uh, all, all the, the higher high order thinking i just yeah the, the the fact that our active investing industry is not beating benchmarks has been bugging me all along, no matter what my own performance is, you know, it's, it's been good, but even that aside, like it just, something has to be done. You know, if it was any other industry and our value add was like, it is for active management, we wouldn't really exist, you know? So it just, I think this whole notion of collaborative um, creativity and collaborative relations, like you mentioned the Hollywood, I love it because it's a highly competitive field, but people know how to collaborate and they, they create some really cool things. Otherwise, you wouldn't watch it. Same with music or drug development or Silicon Valley. And our industry is uh, really 
heavy in engineering and it's great. We need the technical skills, but uh, the overall spirit of it, it's quite competitive and, and isolated, you know, and I think I'm not talking about open sourcing everything, of course, then that would be stupid, but say kind of having joint collaborative projects together with two or three teams or large firms with small firms or large firms together team up and uh, eliminate some of the redundant work that every quant analyst is doing by themselves in their cubicle and start to kind of share and create much stronger win-win situations because as quants we you know there's fundamental analysts there's smart bait etfs there's hedge funds there's plenty of competition you can find if you want to compete against somebody in terms of moving prices so if we can create pockets of uh, collaboration, I think that's going to start to increase uh, the value add that we can generate. That's sort of my clo- closing message. No, I mean, well, I'm I'm opening it up again because um, you're talking about you're talking about collaboration, and you're you're suggesting a kind of fund to fund, everyone joining hands a little bit, and we can all make money together. An issue an issue with that is that um, uh, for someone to make money, someone else has to lose money. <laughs> so that's that's potentially why it's it's non collaborative at the moment. What I was going to say was. Perhaps is there a way that you could sell if innovation is and it and it sounds like is a real strength that that you and your team and and two centuries has. I wonder if if you can mar- sell your services to the market as ideas. You know, we we are an ideas team. We're an innovation team. We will come up with 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 quant ideas, and you know. Somebody, another group of people should be coming up with, you know, we're the, we're the best engineers who will actually, you know, do your engineering for you. And, and perhaps we end up with a more um, a market instead of the, the, these answers all being found and all being done within single companies. Potentially, can you can you envision uh, a market solving these questions? And, and, um, and, and so the, the, the process being divided up into different companies in that way. I love it. I think this is exactly you're building on on top of it. I love it. It'll be a lot more fun for everybody. And, uh, you know, you can't get worse results than, than we have in the industry. So I think trying trying anything new is, is worth it. Uh, and I love it. I like the way you put it. Brilliant. Well, Mikhail, great conversation. Thanks so much. Um, thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, good luck. Good luck with the uh, with coming up with the next batch of ideas. It sounds exhausting, but um, but you love it, clearly. <laughs> thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise.